0: Lord, we've seen already here today your mercy and grace, the love that you've shown us in such a remarkable way through the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us, leading and guiding. We would ask that you help us as we come to the scriptures, that you'd be helping us, encouraging us, being able to focus our attention on the scriptures that you've given us, that we may be the women and the men that you would want them to be. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The message we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be talking about the time. this passage right here. I'm calling it the law of love. If you were with us last week and we were together, we were talking about um, the passage, and he was talking about how do we deal with the government as Christians, and when, or if, is there a time when we obey the government that God has put for us? And that was an interesting passage. This one now, Paul was taking another tack, and he's going a little bit direction. And as you can tell from the thing here, it's the law of love. And what we see is Paul's going to be working on this issue in a very significant way. So I want to tell you a story. I've made it up. It's not like anything special. But I want you to think of a guy named Moshe, Moshe is a common name among Judaism. We would say Moses, is what we in English, but Moshe is a good Jewish name. It's a story about a guy named Moshe who was going through he was a young man, He was going through some really heart issues. He'd heard about many people talking about a guy, a Jewish guy, by the name of Jesus. He'd heard a lot about them. He'd heard many things about them. He'd been to a couple of different, like, events. He'd even, even went to a, one of these little small churches that was working in this area, and he was very impressed by these people. And yet he realized, this is different than what I knew of of Jude- Judaism, and he didn't know quite what to do. But as he talked to these people, and he saw the joy in their lives, and he saw that they were caring for one another, and all this stuff was very attractive to him, but he kept thinking, What would my parents say if they heard that I became a Christian? It was a huge question for him. He knew what would happen. He'd seen it before. He knew that often sometimes when a person left Judaism, became a Christian, sometimes they would have a little ceremony saying, our son, who's now gone, is dead as far as we're concerned. They might never see their mom and dad again. Not all the the groups were like that. Some of the Jewish groups were a little bit more tolerant on it. Even today, in some ultra-Orthodox areas, if you become a Christian, you're considered dead in their eyes. So Moshe had a lot to think about. He realized that if he did become a Christian, it could break the hearts of his parents. He could lose that relationship with them. And he was struggling with what to do. And he finally came to point to saying, I really believe this is true. And I really believe that Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting on for generation, decades, 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 all of his time. He's got to be the one. He really is Messiah. And yet what the price is going to be, it's going to be so hard for me to do this. And yet he came to do that. And he actually became to the point where he said, I want to be baptized as a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And for his parents, that was a huge disgrace. The neighbors all heard about it, that he was following this, quote, Jesus, the prophet, who supposedly healed people. But he said, I want to follow Jesus. And he knew he was going to pay the price for it. And what happened for Moshe then was a question of saying, my world, in some ways, is just being flipped around. My world is just suddenly changing. The people who I usually were with don't want to be around me anymore. And the people that now I'm going to, I don't know most of them. And here's a young guy struggling to try to be the man that God, he thinks, wants to be. And he doesn't know how it all always works. And so what happens is Moshe is trying to think. Okay, I've got to go. What's going on here? And, and I, I've heard what they've said. I've heard what the pastor talked about last week about the fact that we thank God for the Old Testament. We thank God for the law that He gave us for all those many years. But now, in the coming of Christ, I realize that we're part of this new covenant, and we have great freedom in Christ. And and I'm torn between what my, my what I've known all my life and to what I'm understanding here. And He's dealing with these issues, and so I don't know if he would have ever used this term, but we would say he's a Jewish Christian. In other words, he's a Jewish man, young man, who's become a Christian, and so because of that, he's got all these questions that are running through his head about what should I do, what do I need to do, how do I live this life out, and what he realizes, too, is he's going to have struggles in this. Because you're going to have some people saying, what's your problem? Why are you not eating this? Why are you drinking this and not doing this? And all these issues were coming up. And so Paul writes this letter in this chapter, Romans 14, that deals with the question of what are we going to do with all these issues that are coming up? And we're going to pick this up here in this passage, where Paul starts up right here in verse 1. He said, except anyone who's weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. Paul's already very aware of the fact that many of the churches, not just a few, many of them are having big problems and big issues of what is right and what is wrong. What can we do? What should we do? When should we say yes? When should we say no? And clearly people were arguing with each other about what you could do, what you should not do. And so Paul wants to make this crystal clear saying, okay, here's what we can do, here's what we cannot do. And there's going to be times where there's things in the middle where you are not have to be clear. You may not be clear what this is going to be like. So notice what he said. Accept anyone who's weak in faith. If there's a person who's struggling. If they're struggling and you, they want to come to you, good. Let help lead them to faith. He said, but don't argue about the doubtful issues. Obviously, that was a problem. And so he doesn't want them to spend so much time. Many times you've seen this in groups and churches and stuff where they spend so much time trying about who's right, who diss, how should they do it, that we lose touch with what we're trying to do and what we're called to do. And so he says, don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. Now Paul is probably particularly here looking back to this poor guy Moshe who all his life has never eaten pork, if he's a good Jewish man. He's a man who's never had shrimp on the barbie. Okay, that's not, that's not kosher. And so he's a guy who says, you know, I, I don't know what to do here. They're going to have a church picnic. They're going to have a pig roast. My mom and dad would have a stroke if they told them I was going to a pig roast. And he's saying, but they keep telling me at church that we're now under the new covenant and we have freedom in Christ and we can do what we feel that God is leading us to do. And so poor Moshe is struggling with these issues. And Paul puts it this way, you know, one person, believe me, mean anything. Now one of the issues these guys had to deal with, particularly in Judaism, was the fact you went to the meat market and you asked the person, is this meat kosher? In other words, has the rabbi looked this over and checked that the meat is good? If it is, then a Jewish person says, good, uh, you know, I'll buy it. But if he goes to the meat market and the guy says, is this food kosher, the meat? The guy says, yeah, sure it is. You had a rabbi that checked that? Oh, yeah. How would I know? Well, I guess you just got to trust me. And so here's the poor guy going, I don't know if I can trust this guy. He may be lying to me. And so they had argues and issues going on. One person believes he can eat anything. This person who's now become a Jewish, I mean a Christian Jewish guy, saying, I think I have the right to do it. But there's other people saying, you know, I don't think you ought to be eating any meat at all. You ought to just eat vegetables. It could be that a rabbi never saw that meat, and so you're probably better off if you don't eat that. And Moses is going, you know, I love some of this meat that I'm getting, and I think I have a right to do that and to eat it. And he's getting all these different things coming in. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Do eat it. Don't eat it. And here he is saying, what is really real here? What is it that God is telling us that we need to do? And so, Paul writes this one. He said, the one who eats must not look down on the one who doesn't eat. Now, the one guy's conscience saying, you know what? I'm not sure where that meat came from. I'm just not going to eat it. It's just easier for me not to do it. Another person comes and said, what's your problem? You don't believe you're under the new covenant now? You don't see that you've got freedom in Christ? And Paul's saying, "Oh, hey, here we go again. We're going to be arguing about these issues. The one who eats must not look down on the one who doesn't eat. And the one who does not eat must not criticize one who does. Because notice this phrase, very important, because God has accepted him. His point is, if God has accepted him, do you think you can do so? If God has accepted this person into his kingdom, are you going to sit here and argue about whether he can have this meat or that meat or that fruit? And he's saying, no, you don't need to be doing that. This is not what we're spending our time on. So he says in verse 4, he's speaking to the whole group of, the early, of this early church, and he's got, saying to you, what, who are you to criticize another or slave? It's like going to somebody else saying, well, you shouldn't be doing that, neighbor. It's like, who are you telling me to do that? What are you doing about my life? And he says, before his own, this person, he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord's able to make him stand. Notice God can deal with him. You don't have to be the person that's going around saying, I saw you eat the pork. You know, you're in big trouble, da-da-da-da. Mind your own business. Don't go out of your way trying to get somebody upset about it. But I said, don't let this be an issue for you. He said, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so verse 5 is a very important verse in this section. It's a relatively short passage. But verse 5 gives us a clear idea of what Paul is trying to get at. Verse 5, he said, you know... One person considers one day to be another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Now notice this phrase. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Moshe, in the little story we're telling, was dealing with the issues about what they can eat and not eat. Paul is now jumping over to the issue of dealing here with the question about what about special days. The Jewish people, they certainly had some very special days. Passover was a huge deal. People would come from all over to come there for Passover. And so here's Moshe. This is the first time he's coming to Passover, and now he's a Jewish Christian. And he loved he loved that, you know, this thing and what they went through and all these things that he talked about here and how important this was, and he was looking for going to that and, and how exciting that was, and he's going to meet a lot of his friends. And then he realizes, well, my parents are going to be there for Passover. And I guess I should go. I mean, I've gone all my life. And then his friend says, I'm not going. So says, what do you mean you're not going? Of course you're going to go, aren't you? No. Why? I don't feel like I need to do that. I feel like that now in Christ, you know, my sin has been paid for. I don't need to go there to, for the Passover. And you could see why Moshe's like, really? I mean, it's a good time also. I, I, I'm just not, I don't think I need to go. And so right away, he's dealing with questions. Am I being wrong? Am I wrong in doing this? You see, doing this at Passover is one thing. But think about the Day of Atonement Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where once on the Day of Atonement, the priest goes into the tabernacle, and there there's a sacrifice, and there the sins of the people for a year were covered. Imagine now that Moshe, he's gone on a little bit of time since then. Moshe's got this issue in front of him. His friend says, You're going to the tabernacle, aren't you? You're going to be going to the temple? Going to go for the thing? And his good friend says, Don't go. What do you mean, don't go? You don't need to go anymore. Jesus Christ is the one that takes your sin. He is the one who brings forgiveness to all who by repentance and faith come to him. You don't need to go back to the temple ever again. And here's Moshe again. Uh, that's a big thing. Everybody, all my friends go there. All my, par- my parents go there. And, 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 and yet, it's true. I understand that part that in Christ, he is the ultimate sacrifices. We don't have to bring animals anymore to be killed. We have Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, and in him we have full forgiveness of sin. What the Old Testament could never give us, Christ has given to us, and I don't need to go to the temple on the Day of Atonement. And you can imagine what some people are saying. Oh, you're worthless. What's wrong with you? But Moshe is starting to realize, saying, you know what? You go you what you think is right, but I can tell you what I believe. I don't have to go for the Day of Atonement because I have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. That's easy to talk about. It's hard to live when you've got people all around you saying, what do you mean you're not going to do that? And Paul's saying, guess what? There is freedom in Christ. And he talks about how important this. Notice what he said. Someone else considers every day to be the same, but each one must be, notice this, fully convinced in his own mind. Ed Bloom was with us recently, and one of the lines he used to say a lot, he talks about, conscience is not a perfect thing, but it's dangerous to go against your conscience. It's a good way to describe that. Conscience is not always perfect, but it's probably dangerous to go against your conscience. And so Moshe would be the kind of person saying, you know, I don't think this is against my conscience. I think this shows that I believe that Christ is the one that's sufficient for me and I'm not going. Knowing there'll be other people who will criticize him for doing that. So notice what Paul says. He said, whoever observes the day, you know, if he observes it to the Lord, that's great. Whoever eats, he eats to the Lord since he gives thanks to God. Whoever does not eat, it's to the Lord that he does not eat, yet he thanks God. In other words, let God sh- tell, give God the opportunity to give us wisdom about what to do and what not to do. Now, notice what he says in these three verses, these two verses. For none of us lives to himself. Think about that. None of us lives to himself. If we're honest, many of us say, most of the time, I'm living to myself. And Paul's saying, no, none of us lives to himself, if you're a believer. No one dies to himself. If we live, you know, we live for the Lord. If we die... Well, we're going to die for the Lord. Therefore, Paul loves to use that word. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. We're going to serve him in any way he tells us and what we need to do. Paul earlier used this passage very similarly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said this, and he Christ, he Christ died on behalf of all in order that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but the one who died on their behalf and was raised. He died for that. He died on our behalf, that we no longer have to live ourselves, but we can live for Christ. And then he has this great phrase in verse 9, Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. It doesn't matter if they're dead, doesn't matter if they're alive, he's rule of both of them. And he is the one that we worship. He is the one that we get our direction from. He gives us the marching orders, and we march. We recognize who we are in him. And so he says in verse 9, and now he gets a little bit more critical. Maybe Moshe is sitting there listening and Paul say, okay, I want to tell you something, guys. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Moshe experienced a lot of that. Got it from his parents. Got it from others. People said, why are you doing this? why do you criticize your brother? Or you? He said, why do you look down on your brother? You could see why a person say, well, this person doesn't fully understand the gospel. They seem like they want to keep going back to Judaism. We need to straighten them out. Paul's going, really? Do you think the Lord can do something like that through the Holy Spirit? Do you think Rowley really needs you, that person? He's sitting there saying, oh, I just really wish I could get so and so straightened out, boy. Give me a couple minutes with him, and it'll be all fine. And He's saying here, no. Why do you look down on your brother? But notice this phrase. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. The issue of judgment is a hard one. Dallas Seminary, where I went to seminary, and I'm grateful. It's a terrific school. They talked about three different kinds of judgment. There's the judgment of the nations. There's the judgment of the believer, like about what are their works, what have they done. It's not about salvation. Then there's the final one that is about salvation and not, not salvation. That's the third one. And so we know it talks about that, that there is going to be time that we're all going to stand before the Lord. As believers, we should have no fear before that. There may be disappointment, realizing that he gave us so many opportunities and we blew it. But the reality is we're still his and we'll be with him forever. But Paul's making this pretty clear. He said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So why are you spending time criticizing other people when you're going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account for what you've done? And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 45 where it says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow down to me. Every tongue is going to give praise to God. He's saying, you can be assured there's a judgment coming. Thankfully, our judge has taken our sin, our, 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 our failure upon himself. and We don't have to live in fear at all. And Paul said, so then each of us are going to give account of ourselves to God. Be ready to do so. Therefore, let us no one criticize one another. It's so easy to be critical. Some of us are getting PhDs on how to be critical about other people. Paul's saying, really? Why would you be like that? Usually we're doing that because sometimes we feel jealous of others. Sometimes we feel like we've got to bring somebody down so they can be maybe at our level. And Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the way it is among the gospel. That's not what Christianity is all about. Let us no longer criticize one another, but instead, now here's his famous phrase, decide not to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. Don't do anything that's going to keep that person that may hurt them spiritually. Careful about how you treat other people. And then Paul's got a little sidebar. He comes here in this verse, verse 14. Paul pauses like, I guess he put little brackets there when he's writing in Greek, I don't know, but he said this, I know, and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in himself. We usually go right past that passage and don't realize what an amazing passage that is. When Paul says, I, by the Lord Jesus, I know that nothing is unclean to himself. Every rabbi would just about have a stroke by hearing Paul say that. In Judaism, what Paul had to deal with is the fact of saying that every person here, you're either clean or you're unclean. The old team, is this thing clean or is it unclean? Is this person clean or unclean? All these issues are clean and unclean that the Old Testament had. Paul says, in the new covenant here, now as believers in Christ, you know what? He said, we're all clean by the power of Christ. Still, he said, if one who considers a thing to be unclean that's one as he said. And to that one, one is unclean. If he thinks it's that way, well, maybe he feels it that way. Maybe he needs to grow, in those areas. And so he says, for if your brother is hurt by what you eat, in other words, you have got a guy who's you know become a Christian, but he's come from a pagan background, and he's you know got the, all the shrimp, and he keeps saying, come on, come on, you need to eat that. You need to show the fact that you realize that you got freedom in Christ. Paul would say, what's your problem? You know, why would you want to force this guy to do this if he still his conscience doesn't feel right about it? Why are you doing this? Why are we having arguments going on about these issues? Don't you have a Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can both lead you and help us to do what's right? For if your brother's hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. That's what this whole passage about is walking in love. When you do something arrogant, something like this that hurts a brother, Lord is looking upon saying, what are you thinking about, you knucklehead? I don't know if he uses the word knucklehead or not, but I said, what does he think you're doing? We're here to build up one another, to encourage one another, to be the men and women that God wants us to be. He says, so why would you do Would you want to destroy that one for the one that Christ died? Obviously not. Therefore, he comes now nor to the end of the group, saying, therefore, do not let your good be slandered. And this wonderful phrase, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. The three great triad. Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. It's not about arguing about who ate this, who did not eat it, who refused to do it. Paul's saying, we have our Lord Jesus. We respond to him. He teaches us and when we are walking in the Spirit by the Holy Spirit, he gives us the opportunity to recognize what he's doing, that we can have real righteousness. We can have peace and joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's saying, that's what this is about. He says, for whoever serves the Messiah in this way, it's acceptable to God and approved by men. So stop the arguing, stop dealing with all these issues. If God is accepted then, then you can accept them too. You may not like the kind of food they eat. They may not like the kind of things they do, unless they're doing something wrong. But he's saying, you've got a Lord. He'll take care of this. You don't have to be the judge and jury. We've got a great Lord, and he's enough. This passage, and he says here, so then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Instead of arguing about who does this, who said that, who's eating this, his point is we're going to pursue peace and build up one another. That's a great thing we have to think about as we're coming up to our, th- our anniversary next week. Promoting peace and what builds up one another. Being the men, the women that God has called us to be, to recognize we have a great Savior. We're privileged to know Christ. We know we're coming to a time of judgment, but it's not a judgment that for us sends us to hell. It's what reminds us again of what he's done for us. And what we do is all that we do to bring peace and to build up one another. Father, we're grateful for this passage. It's an unusual one, but I thank you that Paul was willing to do with it. Rather than just pretend it wasn't there, he was willing to tackle it and to recognize that, Lord, that people were struggling with the issues in that time, and they do today. Father, we recognize even today the issues are are different, but there's still these things that come up that cause struggles and pain. Remind us again, Lord, that you are our Lord. You're the one that we're going to respond to and we're going to follow. We want to be your women and men to be used by you to make sure we do nothing that would help a Christian, particularly a young Christian, to be turned away from the gospel because of the foolish things we say or do. Give us a life that shows that you are a great Savior. We have a great future, and we look forward to being with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.